0: We've designed these weekends to be meaningful, challenging, and encouraging, and I hope that's what you get from listening.
1: Today, we are finishing our series on It's My Choice. And I thought we'd start off our conversation today with a little bit of an exercise. Now, studies show us that the one's responses to everyday situations that happen in our life ultimately affect the trajectory that our life is going to take. So I thought we'd take a moment to measure where our outlooks on life sit presently. So I have four easy questions for you. I'm gonna show you on the board here. My first question is this. Is this glass, A, half empty, or B, half full? Is the glass half empty or half full? Next question. During a Monday meeting, I am more likely to A, complain how tired I am, or B, share about an exciting thing that I did this past weekend. What are you, A or B? Number three, when I hit a setback on a project, I assume that A, all my work was for nothing. Or B, there's an easy fix to the problem. Where do you land here when you have a setback in a project? A, all my work is for nothing. Or B, there's an easy fix to my problem. And the last question today, you're walking and someone bumps into you, causing you to drop your hot coffee. Do you A, grumble about how people need to better watch where they're going? Or B, laugh about it and maybe even apologize as well? Now, that's not a scientific test. I made it up myself. But I wonder, where do you sit? You see, we tend to be either half full or half empty type of people. And where we sit on that line really depends on how we have reacted negatively or positively in the past. You see, our reactions become our routines. And the truth is that the way we react to situations will ultimately make a big impact on our lives. Every day without ever realizing it, we make very impactful choices on how we're going to respond to life and to people. Some of the choices we make are how much love and grace I'm willing to offer to a person or to a situation. Another thing we do is we often decide on the outcome of our day, maybe even before we even get out of bed. How many of us have laid in bed And before getting up, just say, I'm bracing myself for the day. We've already determined how the day is going to turn out. What about this one? We decide on the results of a dreaded test that's coming up even before we write down that first question. How many of us students have said, you know what? I am going to fail this test. We've already decided. Or how about determining the direction that a conversation with our partner or a friend or a boss or our employee is going to go before we even have that conversation. How many of us have said, you know what, before you get upset, let me just explain the situation. Well, we've already determined that the person on the other end of that conversation is going to be upset. Now, you see, we are people of routine, and so our approach to all of these situations, whether they're the tests or the situations I just said, they often sound or look the same way, regardless of the situation that we are facing. I wonder, have you ever met someone who just seems to have it all together? They have great friends, they have a great family, they have a fulfilling career, maybe they have a great attitude, even in the middle of difficult circumstances. Chances are that this person just didn't win the life lottery. Chances are that they have made some really strategic, steady decisions that have landed them in that position in life. Now on the flip side, have you ever met someone or encountered someone who always just seems to be the victim? Whether it be in relationships or career or schooling or social interactions, they are always talking about how others have wronged them. They're just never to blame for their lot in life because people are continually treating them in such a way as they can never get ahead. I know that I have encountered people like this in my lifetime and if I'm honest, I can also say that I have been this person in seasons in my life. When everyone else is to blame for my situation that I find myself in except for myself. Now, while it's true that people can find themselves in the middle of life and a victim to life circumstances through no fault of their own, the people I'm talking about today are the ones that are always the victim. You know those people? They're always perpetually being wronged by everybody and every circumstance. The truth is that this person has also made some routine decisions in their life that has landed them in that place in life. Now, Pastor Keith, he shared a brilliant story at the beginning of our series about a pair of siblings who grew up in the very same troubled household with an alcoholic father, but they ended up in two very different scenarios in life. The first one, they became extremely successful. They applied themselves in school. They landed a great career. They found a really supportive partner, and they were leading a wonderful, fulfilling life. Their sibling, on the other hand, they were leading a very difficult life. They found themselves the victim of every circumstance that they found themselves in. They were never able to keep a job or a relationship or anything for very long. Now, one day, both of these siblings were asked the very same question Why do you think that you ended up the way that you have? And they both responded with the exact same answer. They both said, Because my father was an alcoholic. You see, the sibling living that difficult life blamed all of their life failures on the fact that they never had a chance because they grew up with an alcoholic father. The successful sibling, on the other hand, they attributed their very successful, fulfilling life to the fact that they had an alcoholic father, but they did not want to become like him. You see, their life situations were very similar, but their futures became much different because of their response to the realities that they found themselves in. Now, obviously, you and I, we would like to end up like that first sibling, that successful life, but it takes hard work and determination to get there, just like it takes hard work and determination to set our lives on a course that's going to end up with a fruitful, fulfilling life that we all desire. And so today I'm going to give you three simple truths that will guarantee you end up with that fruitful, fulfilling life. The first one is this. We're going to shut down the victim mentality. Shut down the victim mentality. Now as humans, we all have a tendency to play the victim card. It's often easier to look at the outside influences of my life and blame them for the situations that I find myself in. Our parents, our upbringing, our lack of finance and resources, my lack of time, a difficult boss, an unfair career ladder, my friends who have wronged me or a setback that I just didn't Plan for. Now, all of these things I just listed, they do have a bit of truth to them. It can be difficult to climb out of the trenches that life has placed us in. I myself grew up with an alcoholic father, and he grew up with an alcoholic father as well. And so it would have been so easy for me to end up on the very same path that they did. But as a young adult, it was my choice if I was going to embrace that lifestyle or if I was going to set out on a new path. You see, there comes a time in life where as adults, we get to begin to make choices on how we want to respond to life's realities and even the difficulties. Now there's a story in the Bible about two sisters, Mary and Martha. And one day Jesus comes to visit their home and Martha welcomes Jesus into their home. Martha is a fantastic host. Come in Jesus, she says, and makes a way for him where Mary comes in and she takes Jesus into the living room and the Bible says that she sits down at the feet of Jesus and listens to everything that he says. But there's a problem. The sisters aren't ready for Jesus to arrive and so there's no meal that has been made and the house is kind of in a disaster. So Martha, being the amazing hostess that she is, she goes down to the kitchen and she starts preparing a meal. She prepares this beautiful meal for Jesus. Now the kitchen is a mess and so she has to clean it up and this goes on for hours. Martha in the kitchen slaving away and Mary at the feet of Jesus listening to him. Finally Martha, furious at what has just taken place, slaving all day, she goes to Jesus to inquire what he thinks of this whole situation. Obviously he is watching what is going on in their home Look at everything I have done, Martha says to Jesus, waving her hands towards the now immaculate kitchen that she has cleaned, towards the swept floors, towards the beautiful meal that sits down at the table. My sister Mary, she has done nothing. She just sat down and listened to you. She hasn't helped me with anything. I'm exhausted, Jesus, and Mary, she's at peace. You can almost hear the offense dripping From Martha's words, can't you? Jesus, I'm the victim here. Poor me. I invite you into our home. I prepare. I make all the food for you. My house is now spotless and my sister, well, she has not helped with anything. I think Martha here is expecting Jesus to back her up a little bit, to tell Mary to get off her butt and start helping Martha. But instead, Jesus says something that cuts directly to Martha's heart. This is what he says to her. Jesus says, my dear Martha, you are worried and upset over all of these unnecessary details. There is only one thing worth being concerned about. And Mary, well, she has discovered it. You see, spending time with Jesus was the one thing that Jesus was referring to, just as Pastor Keith talked about last week. I've always wondered if Mary was there and she saw the messy house and she realized that there was an unmade meal and simply, quite frankly, didn't care. That even though it was unfortunate that they were not prepared for Jesus's visit, she wasn't going to let that difficulty take her time with Jesus. It's obvious from Jesus's words here that Mary's priority was to be with him. So I wonder if despite not being prepared for his arrival, she simply decided to ignore the mess and embrace their guests and sit by Jesus. The reality is a guest has arrived in their home and they are not ready to welcome him. And while Mary, she ignores that mess and embraces their guest, Martha chooses to ignore the guest and she goes and deals with the mess. Her actions are saying to Jesus, your visit to our home is costing me such a great deal. And her actions are actually based on false narratives. You see, Martha is believing some lies in her life right now. She's believing that you need to have really great food to be a good host. In fact, she's believing you need food at all to be a good host. She's also believing that her house must be clean to welcome guests inside. Martha's probably believing that if you keep busy, this is going to make you a better person, a better friend, a better host, maybe even a better sister, And Martha's believing that she is going to be of no value if she doesn't stay busy and keep working. You see, these lies that Martha is believing in her head, they're causing her to believe that she is a victim. Now, how often do we sound like Martha in life? If I'm honest, I sound like her a lot. You know what? Jessica, no one knows what you're going through. No one knows how much you have to deal with. Poor you, Jessica. If only buddy, only anybody would step up and help you. I know my husband could probably attest to the fact that sometimes I sound like a Martha. At the start of this series, Pastor Jonathan helped us understand that as humans, this is our go-to. We often jump to the path offense. We often live in a state that makes everything offendable to us and that encourages us to take on a victim mentality. But we need to protect ourselves from that victim mentality. The truth is we are not victims in this life. And many times the narrative that I'm weaving in my head is simply not true. And we get to decide how we respond the situations before us. That's the truth. I get to decide how I respond to the situations that I find myself in. See, Martha and Mary were in the very same situation. They both were there and their house was not ready. But Martha viewed Jesus' visit to them as a burden and she was responding as a victim. Yet Mary, she viewed Jesus' visit as an opportunity and so she responded with joy how we approach situations in life, like this very example, has a direct impact on how our life ends up. That is why it is so important to shut down the victim mentality every single time it creeps into our lives. And if we're honest, it creeps in a lot. And it's only when we have decided that we are not the victims of our circumstances and situations that we can go on to the next truth for our lives. And it's this. Embrace an opportunity mentality. You see, God offers us another option in life. We do not have to live in the land of victim. There's another path for us, and it's the path of joy and opportunity. See, the victim mentality says we are at the mercy of our circumstances. But the opportunity mentality says that God can use anything in my life. We don't have to approach situations, even difficult ones, as victims. The secret to approaching life with, opportun- with that opportunity mentality that I'm talking about, it can be found in the Bible. It's in James 1, and it says this. Consider it joy whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. And let perseverance finish its work so that you may be made mature and complete, not lacking anything. You see, this is saying that God can use anything, even our trials, to produce good things in our lives. Now, the author of this book, James, he knew a lot of things about troubles. James was the brother of Jesus, and so by this point, he had seen his own flesh and blood be betrayed and and betrayed and beaten and put up on a cross. But James had also seen Jesus after the resurrection. So James is speaking here from a place of perspective. He has gone through troubles and he has seen God work in his life. He's walked through difficult days, but he has also seen the truth of Jesus's words that have been fulfilled. So when James is writing to us readers and to the readers of those days, that we should consider it joy when we walk through trials, He does know what he's talking about. I like to call this a lived theology. He has lived through it, so he knows the truth of the words. But that doesn't make it any easier for his readers or us to listen to these words today. Consider it joy when you face trials. Joy? Really? Joy? To face trials, challenges, difficulties, job losses, sickness, pandemics? You know, as humans we often think of joy as a feeling. But James here is not telling us to feel happy or feel joy that we get to walk through pain. Instead, he's saying considerate joy, and there's a difference there. James is saying that joy is actually a category for our lives. Now, the word consider here is an accounting term. It's from the Greek word hegesitha, And it actually means to count. It's the relating of the organizing of amounts. It actually means to count. So considerate joy literally means count it as joy. Now. When I got my first steady job in high school, my mom took a moment to give me a checkbook and explain to me how it works. Now, for anyone that's probably younger than me, you probably have never seen a checkbook. That's because we have something wonderful (laughs) called the internet. We have online banking. But in those days, there was no such thing as online banking. And so what would happen is you would be given a checkbook kind of like this, and you would record every expense or every deposit that you ever made into your bank account. For example, if you were to put birthday money or your bank or your paycheck into the bank, you would record it as a deposit and you would literally put a plus sign beside that entry. So, you would put deposit and you would put a plus sign and whatever the amount is that you put in the bank. And if you did a withdrawal, so if you took any money out of your account, you would put it in the withdrawal category and you'd actually add a minus sign beside it. Now, The goal was obviously to have more deposits going into your bank than withdrawals being pulled out. Because if you had more withdrawals, if you pulled more money than money was actually in there, you would actually be in debt. You would owe money. Going back to the passage in James, he is encouraging us to treat our lives as a checkbook. He was saying to count or categorize every life experience as a joy. To literally put a plus sign beside it because God can use everything and anything to bring good in our lives, even hardship. Now, it's easy to count the wonderful things in life as joy. It's easy to throw a positive sign beside those things. We love those things. But how do we approach the difficult things in life and actually count them as joy? The situations that we find ourselves in that are destructive and so painful, how can we develop an attitude that says God can use even this? Well, that leads us to our secret number three. Point number three is keep space for God to move. You see, there are moments in life that happen that we will never understand. Some of us are walking through difficult seasons in life right now that logically make absolutely no human sense. And we might not understand why God is allowing that to happen in our lives, why that situation is taking place right now. Now, it's important to make a really important distinction right now. God doesn't cause difficult circumstances in our lives. We live in a broken world. This is not the world that God had designed for us to live in. The world God had created was good, and it was life-giving. There was no sin there, and we would have lived for all eternity in that beautiful garden without sickness or sadness, or death, but because of sin, this world is now broken. Death and sin abound in our world. That is why we see sickness, and that's why we see wars, and that's why we see destruction. So while God doesn't cause the difficult circumstances of our world, he does allow them to happen, but he also says that he can use anything For good, Even the brokenness of our world, he can use those things to bring good things into our life if we will let him. Romans 8.28 promises us that we know that God causes everything to work together for the good. Now, this is a wonderful verse that we love to cling to in times of difficulty. We love to turn to this verse and say, God is going to use it. But we often don't quote the second part. And it's important because there's a caveat to the promise that God is making right here. And it's this. We know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose. You see, there is a response that is required on our part. God works things out for good for those who love him, who are followers of him. But we must love God. And we show him this love by trusting him with the difficult situations of our lives. When we walk through things that we just don't understand, we choose to believe that they are opportunities for God to work in our lives. Using that opportunity mentality instead of the victim mentality. And this becomes so much easier for us to work out in our lives and and trust that God is going to use them When we stay close to Jesus, what Pastor Keith was talking about last week, we get to choose how close we remain to Jesus. That's why our relationship with him is so important. The time we spend with him is so important in every season of our life, but especially the difficult seasons. It's so important to stay with him, to walk with him, to be with him. And when we're with him in prayer, when we take time to just be with him, talk to him about our day, tell him the worries, the frustrations, the fears that are going on in our lives, when we make space for that, what happens is we are aligning our will with his. You know that statement, not my will, but yours? That's a hard prayer to say. But the more time we spend with Jesus, the more we're able to say, God, even though I want you to do all of this in my life, and if I could choose, I would have you do A, B, C, and D so I could arrive right here. God, even more than that, I want your will for my life. I want want you to do what you want to do in my life. And when we pray and when we spend time with God, we're actually tuning our hearts to be able to see what he is already doing because God is already at work in our lives. He's already doing things. And when we spend time with him, we're better able to see exactly what he's doing. And when we spend time with him in prayer and just time in solitude, what we're doing is we're making space for him to speak to us. We're listening to his voice. Now, a great way to put this into practice even this week is we're going to be having a week of prayer and fasting as a church family. It starts on Monday. And I'd encourage you to join us at noon every day online as we come together and pray as a church family. Prayer and prayer and fasting is such a great way to make space in our lives for God to move because it helps us to focus our attention on him and what he is already doing. Now, our family, um, swimming has already always been a top priority for us. Um, we've always wanted our kids to swim. And so I have spent countless hours at the pool. And I've watched the same instructor teach all three of my kids to swim. And you know what? I have been always so fascinated with her process. What she does with each kid... Is she spends a ton of time gaining their trust. They stay in the shallow end. She teaches them how to swim with a flutter board. She teaches them how to kick. She has them jump off the side and swim to her. And they don't know they're swimming, but they're actually swimming towards her. She spends so much time gaining their trust and building their skills. And then comes the moment, the swimming lesson, the day where I know she's decided that they're able to swim for real. And what she does is she instructs them to leave the flutterboard in the shallow end and to come to the deep end with her. Now, instantly, they don't want to do that. They don't want to leave the comfort of the flutterboard. They don't want to kick. They don't want to put their face in the water. And they certainly do not want her to let go of them. But she knows that the only way for them to start to swim is to actually do it. And she knows that even though they are scared, they can still do it. And so she stays near them and she brings them that whole lesson into the deep end slowly until finally they're there. She starts by telling them that they're going to come and that they're going to swim to her. She reminds them of exactly what they know that they can kick, that they can put their head up and take a breath if they need to. And then comes the moment where she's going to let them swim. And so she lets go, but they go under. And as I'm sitting there as a parent and I'm watching my baby struggling to breathe, struggling to get above the water, it's hard. But you know what she does? She does not reach for them. Instead, she starts to encourage them with her voice. She said, you know what? She knows that they're safe. She knows that even though they might have a lot of fear, that's really temporary. She knows what the outcome will be like if they persevere. And so what she does is she calls to them and she says, look at me. You can do this, look at me, swim to me. I am right here, you can do this, come to me. And you know what, though at times it might feel like they're drowning, they're not. Though it might feel to them that they have been abandoned in the swimming pool, they have not. Though they may want to believe that they're victims of their circumstances, that is not true. Her eyes have never left them. Her arms are ready to grab them if they need there. Her voice never stops encouraging them. And as she shifts their focus from their fear to her, every single time on that day, their body starts to relax and they start to follow her instruction. And every time they start to swim because they trust her. All of a sudden, they're not depending on their bodies or their abilities in that moment. All of their trust is placed on her because she has always been there for them. They trust her and they swim to her. And the same is true with God. He has the bird's eye view of our life. He knows what we do not. He can see what we cannot. He knows what good can be accomplished, even in the difficult seasons, even when we cannot see it. God knows what we need, but we get to decide how we want to respond to him in moments like that. The difficult moments that we find ourselves in, like my kids in the pool. We can focus on our present realities and the fear that we feel, and it's valid. We can decide that we are the victims of our circumstances that we find ourselves in, or we can shift our eyes and our focus and our attention to the one who calls our name, the one whose eyes never leave us, the one who is always, always with us. We get to choose how we respond to God in difficult moments. And the truth is that the routine of our responses to him, whether we choose to play that victim card or whether difficulties become opportunities for him to move in our lives, that ultimately determines how our life ends up. The more I respond that I trust God, the more I'm able to trust him with my whole life. The more I respond with I'm the victim, poor me, the more likely it is that I am not gonna be able to trust him. And each day we're given hundreds of opportunities to trust Him, to put the difficult areas of our lives in His hands and ask Him to use them for good. We get to make that choice daily if we're the victims of our circumstances or if our circumstances are opportunities for God to move in our lives. And while that victim mentality is going to stunt our growth, it's going to keep us cycling through negative narratives. When we flip the script and choose to count everything as a joy because God can use it, all of a sudden we start to begin to have a new life declaration and it goes something like this, God can use anything and everything to bring about good things in my life. Now, maybe you're joining us today and you recognize that you have a tendency to play that victim card, to gravitate towards a more of a victim mentality. Whether you've realized it before or maybe you're just kind of noticing it for the first time today, you would admit that that victim mentality does come easily to you. Maybe like me, you can look at seasons of your life and realize that my responses to difficulties has distorted the reality of my situation. Kind of like Martha focusing on the mess instead of her guest. The encouraging thing for us today is that God is continually offering us opportunities to trust him through our difficult moments. Like my kid's swimming instructor, God is constantly calling out to each one of us, keep your eyes on me, Jessica. You can do this. I am right here and I am at work in your life. Won't you trust me? Won't you come to me? Won't you allow me to work out good things in your life? If that's you today, if you'd say, you know what, Pastor Jessica, I'm ready to make a change in my life. I'm ready to say that God can use my circumstances, negative, positive. He can have control over my life, even the difficult seasons. I'd invite you to repeat a simple little prayer after me, and it goes like this. You know what, God I'm deciding today that I am not the victim of my circumstances. I want to respond to the difficulties of my life with an opportunity mentality. I want to recognize that you can work through every situation of my life. God, would you help me to make and keep space in my life so that I can see your hand at work in me? I'm so thankful, God, that you were always with me. God, I'm so thankful that you never leave me. Would you help me, God? Thank you, Father. Amen. You know what, friends? This is how we choose joy. This is how we embrace an opportunity mentality. This is how we guarantee a fulfilling, life-giving life. Instead of focusing on the situations that we find ourselves in, we can choose to shift Our eyes to the one who can lead us through anything. And then once we've done that, we're able to watch with anticipation to see how God is going to use the situations of our present realities to bring forth good things in our lives. Friends, I'm praying for you today. I'm praying that you would see God's hand at work in your life this week, even in those difficult moments. Love you one church to